I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Matteo Berrettini is the king of queens. Ugo Umber hails in Halle. And Naomi Osaka withdraws from Wimbledon. Kim, we are getting closer and closer to Wimbledon. The mad dash, I feel, to the, the All England Lawn Tennis Club is approaching. We've got a week until the main draws start. Qualifying was meant to start today. I'm not going to lie. I'm looking out my window right now. It's been very much doom and gloom today. It's been a bit of a washout. I don't think there was any play in Roehampton, but I'm just, I just, I'm looking at and thinking the fact that we just have a grass court season. I don't care how short it is. I don't care the French Open pushed it back and, you know, we've only got four weeks of, of grass courts. The fact that we just have it in the first place, you know, given the absence of grass courts over the last couple of years in the season, it, it really is, I think, kind of a, a time a time to savour. Oh, absolutely. It's fantastic to have it back on uh, the screen again and also to, to be able to go to it in person again. It's been such a long time since you and I were both <laughs> at a live tennis event and um, yeah, it's almost like round the clock tennis at the moment. It's that real peak time of the, the year, Roland Garros and then Wimbledon and all the tournaments in between. Um, so it's absolutely like Christmas for, for UK tennis fans. Um, and obviously we had the Wimbledon ticket sale last week, which was m- very stressful, but we were both <laughs> successful in the end. Yes. So, that was, um, I mean, that was a celebration in itself, I think, because we, we had like a, as many, I'm, I'm sure as many listeners, British listeners had was we had a ticket strategy in place. We were madly WhatsApping each other trying to coordinate things. And yeah, we were, we were, we were successful in the end. We were. Um, I just waiting for those numbers in the queue to go down. Uh, but it was slow and steady, but we got there. And yeah, hopefully going to be at Wimbledon next week. I hope, you know, most of our listeners who are based in the UK managed to get tickets if, if they were planning to. I think there will be some more sales. So I'm, I'm sure if you haven't already that there might still be opportunities. It was so funny when logging on and refreshing and then just seeing that screen come up saying, you are number 10,036 in the queue. And I was just like, oh, I just had that like dread. But as you said, as the numbers slowly went down, I got more and more optimistic that I was maybe going to be able to purchase some tickets. And fortunately, it happened. I'm still not 100%, 100% sure if I've purchased them correctly. <laughs> um, but I'm still waiting to hear back from Wimbledon because I feel like I might have botched it somehow. But we <laughs> shall see. Uh, we managed to have a nice day at Queen's, though, uh, on last Monday, which was fantastic and like perfect weather. Got to see a bit of, you know, the likes of John Millman and, and co, which was fantastic. And it's just nice to sit there, have a nice pims and uh, soak up the sun and watch our favourite sports. So, um, <laughs> I mean, perhaps we should begin with Queen's because it's been a 
brilliant tournament, I have to say. And we've had top seed Matteo Berrettini steamrolling his way to his first Queen's title on his Queen's debut as well. So very impressive. And that's now his second uh, grass court title, I believe. Um, but I mean, the the real story perhaps is not just him winning, but facing Cam Norrie, you know, Britain's Cam Norrie in the final, which I don't think we could really envisage at the start of the week. You know, we knew Norrie was playing well this year, but I don't think many people would have had him, you know, in the final. Um, and the final itself, I thought was a very entertaining affair. Um, I was very intrigued to see how Norrie would get on, uh, especially coming up against Berrettini and his serve, which has been completely dominant, uh, safe to say, over most of the tournament. And um, I thought Norrie did extremely well, given the circumstances. Yeah, it was a fantastic final. I feel like Matteo, Matteo Berrettini, he showed why he was the number one seed this week. I think he was he was quite clearly, I think, the best, best player in the field. And I think what was interesting from a, a British point of view was he came up against three Brits en route to, to winning the, the title. And he was always kind of like the measuring stick and sort of fascinating to see how, you know, Nori faced Berrettini versus Dan Evans versus obviously Andy Murray as well in, in the second round. So that was quite interesting. But as you said, I think the, the story of the week was Matteo Berrettini and Matteo Berrettini's serve, which was just an absolute force to be reckoned with across the whole tournament. I think, you know, he was he was broken twice in the first round uh, against Travaglia, his fellow Italian. But but after that, he didn't get broken for the rest of the tournament. And his serve, I just felt it just went from strength to strength. And, you know, in the final, I don't think Nori could manufacture a, a break point. And when you kind of look at Berrettini's serving stats, I mean, they were just they were just ridiculous, Kim. I mean, he was he was winning 91 percent of his first serve points against Nori in the final. I mean, if you're doing that, I mean, you, you're probably expecting with, you know, with a serve like Berrettini's, you're going to be expecting to win the title. Yeah. It just, it, you know, if you're going into a match with that sort of serve, it's, it must be such a relief knowing that you've got that weapon to to pull mm. out your bag and rely on and, and just help you, you know, get across that finish line so much easier than having to, you know, slug away in rallies all the time. And and it's demoralising for your opponent because, you know, there's so much pressure every time that you do manage to return the serve and you do manage to get into the rally. You know, you think I've got to make the most of this because, you know, the rest of the game, I'm just probably going to not be able to return the serve. So, you know, you've really got to take your chances when it matters. And I think Norrie certainly did that uh, in the second set when he managed to take it on the tie break. Um, and then sets one and three, it, it really, you know, Norrie obviously knew he had to, you know hold every one of his service games and take his opportunities when he did get them um and it was just that you know one game in the first set one game in the third set which kind of determined the, the whole match really and it's a shame that Norrie wasn't able to to hold on to that that last service game when he was 40 love up in the third set because you know I think we both knew that he was kind of going to have to take it to the tie break or hope for you know, a stroke of luck on Berrettini's serve. It did feel like the only way Berrettini was losing his set was on a tiebreak because his serve just did not look, it just looked impenetrable really. And I think what was so impressive about it was that he was able to kind of back it up with his ground strokes. And I don't think he, I don't, it's quite clear kind of what his strategy is. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not intricate. It's very simple, but it's very effective at the same time. And, you know, when he's got a massive serve like that, you know, just getting it in back in play is not enough because he absolutely has an absolute 
cannon of a forehand and he's always looking to get onto that I think from the you know the, the return and you know more more often than not this week he was able to and you know it's really going to take some very special I think you know re- return you know returner um, like a you know Novak Djokovic obviously springs to mind or a breakdown in the Berrettini serve to to see him losing or even, you know, coming up maybe against another, you know, a big server where perhaps it goes to tie breaks and it is a bit 50-50. But it, it looks, you know, the way he was playing throughout the whole tournament, you can see why he's going to be a, a very much a handful when it comes to, to Wimbledon in a week's time. Yeah, I, th- I agree with you. I was I was thinking as I was watching, you know, that the final, surely Berrettini's, you know, a, almost a dead cert for making the quarters, possibly semis, could be mm. a dark horse for the final, depending on which side of the draw he's on. He's giving me Tommy Haas vibes, though, with that, that, that the, the cap, with the backwards cap. It feels very Tommy Haas to me. I don't know if, if any of our listeners think that, or maybe it's just me. But um, yeah, he's an absolute, <laughs> I feel like he's an absolute unit on the court as well. He's got a good... He's got a big kind of frame, I feel, with a lot of muscle there, a lot of muscle mass that can really generate sort of power that, you know, I think is working. Well, it's, it works. It's been working on the clay courts. It's been working on the, the grass courts. He's got to a US Open semi final as well. You can see why his game is so well adaptable, I think, to all the, the different surfaces. And I think, you know, that I, for me wasn't as a surprise, I think, than. Cam Norrie getting to the final and the fact that you know we I think we were kind of speaking a few months ago about oh yeah Cam Norrie's best surface is is clay and maybe he would go a bit quieter when it you know we transitioned out of clay to to grass but I've been very pleasantly surprised by you know how the fact that he came into the tournament unseeded and has 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 made the final took out Karatsev then Jack Draper and then Shapovalov in a really entertaining semi-final I think Shapovalov potentially was a little bit tired I think he had to play two games in one day because of the rain but the fact that he's been able to kind of do that transition from clay to grass and and show I think British fans you know all the I think the hearsay that we've been hearing over the tour when he's been playing you know in in tournaments not in in the UK in in Europe and, and further afield it's been a really really good showing from him in in that respect. Yeah, definitely. And, and Norrie is actually 12th in the ATP race, which is very impressive. And it just shows you what a season he's having. Like he's made several finals now on, on clay and grass and like proving that, yeah, his game, just like Berrettini's, is also adaptable for, for various surfaces. And he's keeping that form going. And, you know, he, you can tell he works really hard. He's very focused, very intense. He's got a really good attitude on court, which I like. And I think that's paying dividends. All the hard work that he's been putting in um, is, is paying off. And, you know, he's pulled out of um, of Eastbourne this week, which I think is probably sensible. You know, he needs to, to rest before Wimbledon. But um, we haven't had the, the seedings released for Wimbledon. But, like, I think rumours and chat sort of is that he will be just seeded, I believe, with... Uh, his ranking where it is and, you know, several of the top players having having withdrawn above him. So, you know, that will surely help him uh, with getting a more reasonable draw than, you know, landing Novak in the first round or what have you. So, you know, we're going to have two two players seeded uh, on the men's side, which is fantastic. I mean, given this form and what we've seen now of, of Norrie on grass, do you think that this is, uh, do you feel like Dan Evans will feeling the pressure of, of being British number one? Do you think Norrie is now... He's got enough momentum that is it a matter of time before Norrie becomes the British number one for the first time? 
Yeah, possibly. I think hopefully the fact that they're both up there will spur both of them on and we can, you know, it, doesn't, it needs to be, it can be like a good competition. It, you know, <laughs> I don't think Dan Evans should be worried about losing his British number one status. I think, you know, as long as he's there or thereabouts, yeah. um, but hopefully he can be, they can kind of inspire each other and mm. we should just celebrate the fact that we will hopefully have two, two guys in the top 30 very soon. Um, and obviously it's a shame that Kyle is still injured and recovering and, Andy, we don't really know what's going on with him. Uh, you know, he's still very early days. He's got kind of a mysterious ailment that he's still struggling with. So, um, but no, I mean, it's just absolutely brilliant to have Nori in the final. I, I thoroughly enjoyed his semi with Shapovalov. Thoroughly enjoyed the final with Berrettini. Um, you know, both really likeable guys. Uh, they both played really well on on Sunday as well. So, um, you know, with their own merits as well. And it's just, yeah, it was a really enjoyable Really enjoyable weekend of tennis, I thought, at Queen's. And I think, you know, I think the worry was looking at, at the draw as a, as a tennis fan, you were thinking, where are the, where are the big names there? You know, give, you know, comparing the draw to kind of, you know, se- seasons before. But actually, it's, it's really kind of, I think, shined a light on, you know, new, new players, new characters. The fact that it was, was Berrettini's debut, he's probably made lots of fans, um, you know, with the, the British public already. Cam Norrie as well, getting to the final again, he's put himself on the map with the more, I think, casual kind of British fans. So it's been, I think it's been a really, really, really strong tournament. I mean, let's talk about the other Brits because, I mean, we could talk about Cam Norrie, I think, for the rest of the episode, but we've got to talk about the other Brits because, generally speaking, the tournament was a, a success for, for British tennis because, you know, we had Jack Draper and Dan Evans get to the, the quarterfinals. I mean, Jack Draper, I felt like this was a tournament that, you know, was very much uh, a coming out, I'm almost a coming out party for him. So let, we'll get on to that in a sec. But but let's talk about Andy Murray, um, because that was probably the the biggest sort of, I think, question mark going into it. You know, he didn't have a clay season, um, you know, is itching for Wimbledon, but he's still got these injury doubts. And he came up and he had Benoit Pair in the first round, came through 6-3, 6-2, and then lost to kind of Berrettini, quite easily kind of 6-3, 6-3. I mean, what did you what did you make from those two performances? We had one win, one loss against the top seed. Where where were you what what were you kind of your your thoughts? Yeah, I thought we did pretty decent considering the fact that I think he came out afterwards to say that he'd only played like two practice sets and you know, this was his first return really to mm. the court in in ages. Um his movement looked pretty decent. Um you know, Benoit Pet, he's a bit of a weird player to play. You don't really know what you're going to get. Um, so I thought we did well to come through that like comfortably. And, you know, he didn't do badly against Berrettini. And Berrettini's obviously was top of his game really this week and, you know, with his serve and everything. So um, I think Andy did really well considering. But I think, I, you know, if you're looking at prospects for Wimbledon, the fact that he's barely played any tennis and is, is still struggling with this groin issue, um, it doesn't really bode well. I, I can't see him, you know, going like really beyond like the second round, especially when it's best of five set tennis. Um, it's just, just going to be a, he's going to have to build up to it. We're not going to get a Goran Ivanisevic wildcard winner uh, in the men's singles in, in well, 2021. that did happen 20 years ago when Goran <laughs> won. So maybe history can repeat itself. But I think that would be extremely unlikely. Uh, I don't know what the, the betting odds would be for that one. But, um, you know, I'm sad to say for Andy, uh, I don't see that happening. Um, but I mean, as an Andy fan, like, are you 
feeling optimistic or less so after having seen his performance? Yeah, I think that the, the the biggest takeout I think I was pleasantly pleasantly surprised by was his movement uh, around the court. I think you know quite a few quite you know I think Berrettini and, and Pair were you know putting in drop shots trying to move Murray around, and it was actually great to see. It didn't look like his movement had been impacted as much um as i thought it it might have been and to see him sort of clamoring for those shots uh you know the tram lines and even further afield um was really great and and i think encouraging to see i still think there's you know there's obviously work to be done there um i felt like his serve maybe had a little bit of speed kind of knocked off of it um and i think he'll be disappointed that you know we know murray is one of the the greatest returners arguably like number two you know to novak djokovic so not to break berrettini um you know might have been you know for him a bit disappointing but as you said we've got to remember this guy's paid like literally a few practice sets and just kind of stepped out on on the court and you know there's no doubt the british public are expecting you know big big things from him but you know the reality is when you've got a wild card or you're going in unseeded to these events you can come up against anyone in the, in the field and I think that's another thing that's going to be quite tricky is where where does Murray where does Murray land in the draw because he could arguably he could land the top seed at you know at Wimbledon he could land someone like Novak Djokovic in the first round so he's going to need I think a lot of factors I think to kind of go his way to kind of help him make this Wimbledon I think as memorable as as maybe he wants it to be you can see he was clearly kind of quite emotional I think after that that Benoit pair match when you know, he's been talking um talking with um you know in the interview with the post-match kind of commentator and um it was clear he just wants to get back out and compete yeah but also at the back of his mind he must be thinking you know this could be his last Queens his last Wimbledon so but by the very nature of that, will be very emotional. And let's hope he gets a decent draw at Wimbledon and doesn't get a top seed. You know, it's such a lottery when when you're not seeded yourself. So, um, and let's hope as well that he can kind of get to the bottom of of his groin issue because I think you know he's he's not saying it's stemming from from the metal hip essentially. No. It's kind of a new issue. So I know it's which a bit is of crazy. A which is crazy. We were, we've just thought, how's the metal hip? Metal hip is absolutely fine. It's it's the Andy's groin. I feel is the, the the issue, and yeah, we need we need that sorted out, Kim. Yep, I'm sure he's on the phone to all the best people in sports science, <laughs> yes. like he has been over you know the last however many we, years. We're of gonna his get a we're gonna get another Amazon Prime documentary, aren't we? And it's gonna be like Murray's groin resurfacing or, or something. <laughs> He'll just end up having metal, uh, you know metal body parts left right and center. <laughs> I mean let's talk about about Jack Draper as well because you know very different story you know he's at this very start of his career and you know he's only 19 he's um probably not very familiar to a lot of you know British fans who might have been you know attending Queens but he's certainly impressed because I think well he was um when I got to Queens on, on that Monday he went sort of promptly for love down to Yannick Sinner I thought oh sorry Jack Draper I think you're going to get thrashed here uh, but he, he, you know, brought it back and uh, I think it was a breakdown in both sets and he won both of them on the tie break. And yeah, it was very, like, really impressive. Um, I couldn't really believe it when he won. And then he followed it up against Alex Bublik in the second round and won that in two tie break sets as well. So it's obviously a big fan of a tie break is Jack Draper. I mean, he looked really, you know, comfortable on court um, once he got into it and, 
yeah, you think what a great prospect. Um, he's kind of really arrived uh, and it will be, you know, Wimbledon just around the corner, it'll be his first Grand Slam main draw in the seniors. And he obviously loves the grass. He's a former Wimbledon boys uh, singles finalist. So it'd be really intriguing, you know, if he, again, bit of a lottery of the draw, but if he can continue that form that he had at Queen's, um, who knows, might get a win at Wimbledon. Yeah, I think that will be obviously the big ambition for him i think you know he's got to remember he's 19 he's you know this is all very much a learning curve and experience for him but to get to a quarterfinal of an atp 500 in front of your home fans that is quite something and you know to beat someone like yannick sinner who you know i think they had played quite a lot against each other um in in mm, the juniors coming age, up and, aren't they yeah and i think sinner obviously probably kicked on and, and has maybe arrived at the, on the atp tour bit earlier than than Draper but the fact that he's still very much developing I think is a, a very good prospect he's sort of you know his style sort of reminds me of of Carl Edmund in that sort of classic mold of the fact that you need a big serve I think to survive on the, the ATP tour he certainly has one of those and he definitely again has the the ground strokes I think to to back it up there's no doubt that he'll need to add more variety to his game in the future but at the moment I think it's very 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 kind of promising signs and I know I, I came, I always think back, you know, I feel like the last time we spoke about Jack Draper was when he was passing out on, uh, on the court mm-hmm. in, uh, was it in Miami or Cincinnati? I think Miami, or... I, I think. I've, yeah. I've Early, earlier, on, anyway, passed out earlier on in, in the season. And, you know, he's obviously going to have to add, you know, uh, that sort of fitness, I think, to his game that, you know, other players that, you know, remember Andy Murray going through when he was he was growing up. So it's all a big learning curve at the moment, but I'm sure he is he is going to show no fear. I think he loves playing in front of the crowd. You can see, I think he feeds off of it in terms of the, the confidence that it gives him. So the fact that he's going to be able to play in front of crowds at Wimbledon, who knows, maybe on a show court, let's wait and see. Um, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a really, really good opportunity for him definitely and he just came up short against Cam Norrie in the quarterfinal but that's probably as expected you know after having two you know big-ish wins so um absolutely fair play to Jack Drake but it's great to have another Brit to support who's kind of going to be hopefully up there and we saw a bit of Liam Brodie as well when we were at Queen's but you know he sort of (laughs) was very into the match but um he just couldn't make inroads on Adrian Mallory's serve unfortunately so you know, jury's out on that one. But uh, yeah, Queen's was, a, I thought, a really good tournament this year. I was quite disappointed that Feliciano Lopez, you know, couldn't really make any inroads uh, and fell quite lamely to Shapovalov. You know, hasn't defended either of his titles, but will allow it. You know, he's he's, he's doing his best. I don't think he allowed much time for it to sink in. I swear he hopped on the first flight to Mallorca. Uh, which I think he, he played singles today in one. So um, yeah, I don't think it was it was playing too much on his mind. But um, moving on to to Halle uh, in Germany, obviously this has been Federer's home. I think for you know the last decade plus. Um, but we had probably a surprising champion to many in Ugo Umber beating Rublev in the final six three seven six. I mean, this was an incredible, incredible run from Umber. I think all his matches up to the final were three sets. Um, and, you know, he took out uh, Zverev as well en route. And then Korda. And then Ojej Aliasim, who we'll come on to, who you know, beat Roger Federer um, early on as well. So 
it was really, really, really impressive from Umber. And, you know, Kim, we were speaking during our French Open kind of round by round coverage about where is the, you know, where, where are all these French youngsters who need to come in and, and replace the, you know, the old guard like, you know, Songa and, and Monfils and, and Simon. And, you know, Ugo Amber is 22 years old and, you know, watching watching the final and looking at him, you know, outplay Rublev, who is in a 500. This is a very familiar territory for him, a 500 final and and beat him in straight sets. I mean, that's that's going to be that's a that was a very, 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 very um, impressive win. Yeah, firstly, great that Rublev was kind of back to his 500, uh, you know, form. But I was, yeah, I was quite disappointed in him that he didn't manage to actually win. <laughs> um, but it just showed that Ugo and Bear was, yeah, on a roll, really. Yeah, although he was probably a little bit tired from all his, his three setters, he um, was playing some exceptional tennis. And uh, I saw a bit of the semi-final with, with FAA and... Um, yeah, he came through that in a last set tie break. So, but yeah, he's one of those players that, you know, he's, he has won a title before. I think he won, um, the name of it, uh, leaves me, Joel, but I remember seeing him win. Was it, he beat, was that the one when he beat Dan Evans last year in the semi? Oh, yes. Point, yes. I think, mm. uh, Antwerp maybe, but, um, yeah, I thought really good week for him. Uh, obviously, he was unseeded, so I don't think anyone would have picked him out of the draw to come through. But he's, you know, beat some, you know, top players ranked much higher above him and um, winning when it matters. And that's what you've got to do. And a bit of a dark horse, I suppose, going into to Wimbledon, perhaps, you know, he's on for a, a rogue quarterfinalist. I don't know. I'm just making tentative predictions. <laughs> he... I think he's got a game style, I think, that suits faster court surfaces. Um, uh, particularly, I think, with his his style of play and his, his serve. It's very easy on the eye, actually. I think, you know, I think with most French players, it's quite an elegant game style, quite easy to watch on the kind of the telly. But I think it is very um, well suited to, to grass. And it might make him, yeah, as you said, a, a danger a danger player in the draw for at Wimbledon because... Yeah, he came through and just upset, um, you know, players all ranked higher than him. I mean, it was quite an interesting draw how it kind of panned out in Halle because Rublev was the only seeded player to make the quarterfinals. Um, you know, Medvedev lost to, was the top seed, lost to Struth in round one. Um, Not a surprise that one, to be honest. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Um, you know, and you know, Monfils as well was seeded. Goffin, no. Bautista Agut, no. And then Zverev lost to Umber. But you know, Roger Federer was seeded five. Came up um, against Ogier Aliassim in the second round. Uh, defeated Ivashka seven six seven five in the first round. But. Um, yeah, it was not the. I don't think it was the return to Halle that he would have wanted. I mean, we know he's a. I think he's a ten-time former champion, um, and we know Ojeda Alisim is a, still a, a great prospect. Maybe didn't have the best clay court season, but I think this was just a reminder of of the talent that 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 he is capable of. Yeah, and I think Federer was quite disappointed afterwards. You know, he said that in his his mm. post uh, match presser that I mean know, that third set was bad six mm. I mean yeah it just fell away I think it was quite sad really because it the scoreline it sort of fell away didn't it from from Federer in that third six two yeah it was not the way he probably he would have wanted to end end that match it was I mean you could tell in his body language it was quite negative yeah and I think he's gonna you know he's sort of given himself a 
kick up the bum um to to not have that attitude I think because but I mean you can't blame him for being negative when you know he's doing his best at this stage in his career and you know this is a a title and a tournament that he's won countless times and played really phenomenally well at and it must be really frustrating when you just can't produce what you know you should be doing um and yeah I think if it had been a tight you know seven six set it might have been a bit different but six two you know it's it really doesn't bode that well going into Wimbledon and you know especially after he pulled out of the French Open you know didn't play his fourth round in order to to get that extra time on the grass and you sort of think well you've only had two matches here are you still prepared enough like it's not the great it's probably not what he envisaged when he planned that it's really tricky isn't it because the grass court season as i said it's four weeks clay had what three masters 1000s as normal you know monte carlo madrid rome and you know federer's got one lead-up tournament to Wimbledon and the time has not you know not been on his side with the you know the how the grass season I think is treated to be honest by the you know by the the ATP and WTA tours it feels we're getting to a point where it feels very almost tokenistic really um and I don't I don't I don't think that has kind of helped the situation because you know he's not going to have any um you know more matches before Wimbledon um and you know, to go out in, in such a fashion. I mean, I think just watching it on the highlights, it was quite clear. I think, you know, his shot making is obviously still there, you know, as one of the, the greatest of, of all time, but his movement, I think was a bit lacking and it felt a little bit, and it's probably a little bit of a cliche. It genuinely felt a little bit like kind of time, you know, was catching up with him. You know, we've got to remember he's, he's turning 40 later this year. Um, it, it's sort of a, you know, what, what do you expect? Young, you know, young fit guy in Ojeh Ali Asim, um, who has loads of loads of talent, um, playing one of his idols. He's, you know, he's going to be motivated. And although he, you know, was respectful, he wanted to go out there and win. And, you know, for Federer, it was just, you know, just on the day. Um, he just, it just, he just doesn't, didn't look as sharp as I think he, he needed to be. Yeah, so I mean anyone who comes up against him at Wimbledon, I think, you know, with with reasonable, you know, um <laughs> sort of weapons in their arsenal will have to fancy their chances. I, I just think, you know, he's a step slow and he's he's not quite where he would like to be and has been and needs to be. And, you know, as you said though, he's doing remarkably well. I mean, gosh, if I was, you know, that age and able to do what he's doing on a court, blimey. But um We'll have to, yeah, we'll have to see what he does. Hopefully he can pick his level up when it gets to the slam and, you know, to the grass schools of Wimbledon. And Kim, just before we move on to the, the women's tournaments, can I just say, from the fan point of view, Haller, I've got to put it in the category of tournaments with stadiums that have terrible shadowing. Oh, yeah. Just make yeah. it impossible to watch it. <laughs> Like who are the architect? Who are the architects being signed up to to make these to make these courts? Because I would I would be asking for my money back. I know I was flicking between Haller and Queens, and I just couldn't <laughs> watch Haller at some point, so depending <laughs> on where the sun was, because it was just awful. Um, where the shadow falls, and I know it's a massive first world problem, but it really just made it really difficult to see what was going on on the court. So I thought Queens was the clarity of the grass there was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about the ladies' events from the WTA tour this week, uh, because again we've had 
tournament in Germany, tournament in the UK. Let's start with let's start with Berlin, the 500 event. Uh, again, uh, you know, people people may not have expected Hugo Humbert to win Halle, but I don't think anyone would have expected Ludmilla Samsonova qualifier from Russia to go and win uh, Berlin. Uh, she's kind of come from nowhere really um she she's kind of had some great wins in the week she beat Benchich in the final in three sets beat Azarenka in straight sets in the semi-final um had wins over Madison Keys, Kudermatova as well uh Von Drusova in the first round so really a, a stellar week uh from her and I mean I hate to say it Joel I hadn't really seen Samsonova before this week she's 106 in the world I think previously she's she's won ITF events but she's not you know been sort of at this stage of a WTA event before so I don't think anyone would have really known what to expect but absolute credit to her she's become the 10th WTA player this season to win their first WTA title um seems that you know everyone's getting a crack this year yeah it was very impressive very surprising it was also great to see Belinda Bencic back in a, a final as well but Samsonova I really think again she's got a brand of tennis that is is very aggressive I mean, you just got to look at that that scoreline against Azarenka, six four six two. That I think tells you the level of aggression I think she can bring to a court, particularly I think with her serve and her, her ground strokes. And I think that was the same case in in the final. And even though I think Benchic took it to to three sets, and you know maybe Samsonova showed her nerves in in that first set. I mean, she lost it kind of six one, but to to bounce back and win set two six one and then set three six three was very very impressive and i think benchich was getting a bit distracted with some of the the line calls as the the match went on and was getting a little bit distracted and i think that that helped samson over i think get over the line but it was very very still very very impressive from the the russian and it was interesting to hear in in her um in her kind of post match kind of press conference talking about the fact that Although she is, she plays for Russia. She has grown up in Italy uh, since I think she, she was saying she's grown up in Italy since she was kind of one year old, and she's talking about the kind of the switch between Italy and and Russia, and talking about the the feeling that you know Italy play with you know so much passion, and she felt I think that translated into pressure on her in terms of her career and and where she was going, whereas. Diff- almost kind of like transferring to to Russia, she was like the lowest ranked kind of player. Um, you know, more Russian players above her. You know, players like Kasatkina, I guess, and, and Pavlyuchenkova, and she felt like that pressure. I think kind of just evaporated. You know, as she moved from Italy to to Russia, and and maybe that has kind of helped her game. And the fact that she's able to just kind of have that ease and, and peace of mind, and not have to think about. Uh, that sort of thing and, and be in that right mindset and I think that you know really helped her and, and pay dividends this week in uh, in Berlin yeah no definitely it's all kind of coming together for her and yeah I think that's a good point about just the pressure being off you know if you're not expected to uh, to do stuff but that may change if she finds herself going up the rankings and and becoming you know slightly higher in the hierarchy of, of Russian players but you know hopefully she'll be able to deal with that she, I think, has now broken into the top 100. And I think Wimbledon have also given her a wild card into the main draw, which is nice to see. Um, so rewarding kind of really, really, really strong efforts. I don't think so. Her ranking wasn't above the where it needed to be at the, at the cutoff. So really impressive to um, see her. And I'll be interested to see yeah, how she gets on at Wimbledon. 
Yeah, for sure. No, fantastic. I'm glad that they've given her a wild card because, you know, it, it's nice. It should to, be rewarded. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's, you know, she's only the second qualifier this year to, well, I mean, only the second qualifier. There's been two qualifiers this year to actually, actually won WTA titles. And it does seem to be becoming a lot more of a thing. And it's, you know, is much more doable on the women's tour, to be fair. But, you know, that is, it's, it's a big achievement to win a title on the tour. And yeah, I, it's fantastic that she's being rewarded with that. So yeah, again, I don't think any top seed will be wanting to get her in the first round of Wimbledon. <laughs> um, but yeah, we also had Birmingham and actually, you know, first time title winner for Samsonova. She actually did that, I think, an hour or so after Onjibor had won the Birmingham title, um, uh, which was her first career WTA title. She came through 7-5-6-4 against Daria Kazakina in the final um really it's, it's surprising I, I just genuinely had thought that Onjibor had won a title already because <laughs> know, she's been there and thereabouts for a long time <laughs> we can take that we can finally take that name off the list of of players you think have won uh, a WTA title but haven't exactly yeah she's she's broken through and it was quite nice that she um beat Kazakina in a way because one of her two previous singles finals had been against Kazakina and I think she had a losing record against Kazakina so it's nice for her to kind of turn that around um and obviously she beat Heather Watson in the semis as well um you know who get on to in a bit but yeah really nice for Angebor. she's she's making history um to be fair for for her country and also for Arab women because she is the first Arab woman to have won a WTA singles title um also she's the highest ranked um, Arab woman ever um you know she's she's making all record those after exactly. record. yeah so really really good um to see her do that and she's such a likable personality as well um she's a, she's got a great you know very versatile game which I love to watch yeah definitely I think she's one of these players that is very much of the I think the Cameron Norrie school of of tennis in terms of maximizing the most out of your ability um it was interesting again kind of hearing her talk about kind of in the you know in kind of the trophy kind of celebrations she spoke about after her match the fact that she's not she wasn't born talented she just worked hard to be talented and I think that just shows you kind of her work ethic and you know how she's always striving I think to to be better and even though she's won this title, I'm sure she's now looking at the next sort of record that she can, you know, she can break. And it's great. I think that she's really kind of putting kind of tennis on the map in Tunisia and in the Arab world in in general and kind of, you know, getting people more involved and more invested in tennis with all these amazing achievements. So um, yeah, kind of hats off to her. And uh, yeah, a great week for Russia as well, because, you know, Kasatkina getting to the final, Samsonova winning in, in Berlin. So it was a good, yeah, it was good for, it was good for the, it was good for um, your board, but it was also a, a good week for Russia as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and not a bad week for, for British women as well, with Heather Watson getting to the semis. Uh, you know, they had a lot of rain uh, <laughs> affecting play in Birmingham. So Heather had to play and so did Onjibor that, you know, they all had to play their sort of quarters and semis on the same day. And they really didn't get much rest between the two. Uh, it seemed that Heather Watson had gone off court and I was sort of flicking back later to be like, oh, when is she playing her <laughs> semi? And it had already finished. So I was like, oh, OK. Um, so, you know, but she came through against Donna Vekic in, in that quarterfinal to, to get her place in the last four, um, which I, you know, I thought that was going to be a 
well, it was surprised that Heather Watson won it, but I thought if she was going to win, it would be a bit of a tight one. But she came through in, in straight sets, so um, played like pretty well to to come through that one. And you know, she's actually the last British woman since Joe Jury in '92 to reach the last four in Birmingham, um, which is really impressive. But I have to remember as well that Birmingham is usually um, like a premier event, I think, and it's it's sort of been downgraded. So not trying to take anything away from Heather Watson, but you know, there were slightly uh, less of the top names that would usually be there uh, this year as well. But <laughs> but I think generally speaking, though, it's been a very, very, very solid, I think, lead up to Wimbledon for Heather Watson and for Joe Conta. I know Joe Conta would have wanted to play in Eastbourne this week. Uh, I think she's she decided to drop out um I think just to make sure that she is okay for Wimbledon, but you know, both, both, both of them putting in very solid, I think build-ups to Wimbledon. I think they will both be in positions where they'll be pretty happy with, I think going into, you know, the main draw. I don't know if there is still a little bit of a, a fitness concern over Conta. I guess we'll, we'll find out um, over the next kind of couple of weeks, but um, that kind of coupled with Conta's win last week, I think, yeah, pretty good for, for British women's tennis. Absolutely. Um, it's looking, you know, better than it has done in a while. So mm, let's yeah, that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's take a quick break now. Uh, but do join us in the second half where we'll be talking about all the withdrawal rules from Wimbledon, including Rafa uh, and Osaka. And also we'll be looking ahead to this week's events, including Eastbourne. So don't go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the second half of today's show, which, as usual, Joel, commences with a bit of a game. Uh, it's not Mysterious Player this week. No. I think we've got a par for the court. Yeah, par for the court's got a new par for the courts for you, Kim, and for our listeners as well. Uh, I'm going to, if anyone hasn't played this before, I'm going to set Kim a topic and a pass score, and she's got to reach that pass score without giving me a wrong answer. So, Kim, are you ready for your topic? I'm ready to be embarrassed uh, live on air, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, right, your topic is... So, you know, we've been, we've been speaking about Roger Federer and grass court tennis, and specifically grass court defeats. And my topic for you is there are only... 11 active players to have beaten Roger Federer on grass. Who are they? And I am going to set the par score at... I'm going to set it at, I think, six. I'm going to set it at six. Oh, yeah. I think I, think I can get a six. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not 100% confident. Not confident. Okay. But um I'll go for 6. I'll I'll push 50%. I want I'm, yeah. I'm I'm looking for a 50, a 50% plus score here. And just to clarify it's, it's active players so active players one that's retired. Yeah. Okay. So you, right. you can't give me Byron Black at Queens Club in 1999 if that if you were thinking of that. That was top of my list Joel, obviously. <laughs> Sorry, did Federer ever play Queens? Uh, yep, in 1999, oh, wow. it was his first first defeat on a grass court. He obviously didn't like it, so he never came back. Um, <laughs> went off to Halle. Um Okay, righty ho. Uh, well, number one, Rafael Nadal. 
correct? Number two, Novak Djokovic. <laughs> I'm surprised that wasn't number one. Um, well, uh, 2008 Wimbledon final. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, yeah, Novak Djokovic. Correct. Number three, um, Jay Wilfred Songer. Correct. Yes. Yes, that's um, three. Number four, Felix Oje Aliassi. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. <laughs> yes, uh, that is correct. FAA. Uh, so that's four. Now I know Federer lost to someone in the recent, um, you know, in 2018 when we had like Isner and Anderson. He lost to, he lose to Kevin Anderson in that one. Was that who Anderson beat? And then he played Isner. So I want to say he also lost to Chilich at some point on grass, but no, I, uh, Kevin Anderson. Correct. Oh, Kevin okay. Anderson is correct. That is, I think that is five. Okay. Um, I've got so some you've other... got one more, yeah. one more to get par for the court. I think at Haller, he's lost in the past to, I want to say Tommy Haas, but obviously he's retired. Um, I think Federer's lost to Kohlschreiber at Haller in the past. So I'm going to say Philip Kohlschreiber. <laughs> incorrect, oh, Kim. No! No, Cole Schreiber is incorrect. I know Cole Schreiber has won Haller, but I obviously just assumed he'd beaten Federer to yes, do it. Um, oh. I think you're thinking of Haller 2018. Borna Chorich beat Roger Federer. Oh. Um, you could have also had Alexander Zverev. Oh, where was that? In Haller? Alexander Zverev in, um, oh, in Haller also- 2016. I haven't said Andy Murray because he beat him um, yes, in the Olympics. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh. oh, Kim. You could have had Andy Murray. You also could have had Dominic Team. Oh, okay. You could have had Milos Raonic. Oh. Uh, and also the oh, last Sergei Stokowski. There you go. And oh. that was the last Kim. You could have you could have easily beaten par for the oh. par for the courts there. But yeah, Cole Schreiber. Cole Schreiber got you. Yeah, damn it, Philip, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, though. And actually, I think, yeah, if, if I hadn't, t- if I'd thought more logically, but and anyway, um, yeah, I thought that was good. Thanks, Joel. I hope our listeners enjoyed playing along with that one. Um, <laughs> uh, let's move on to the mailbag. We've got a few um, few questions. So just actually talking about Federer, I've got a question concerning him from at Topspin Lobber on Twitter. Uh, who's saying, is Federer happy or sad about Djokovic's win over Rafa um, at the French Open? His lead with 20 slams is still safe for now, but it's hashtag Joker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I mean, what, what, was, what do you reckon, Joel, on that one? Ooh. Uh, you know, for me, I was thinking about this. I personally think he, in the short term, I think Roger Federer is happy. Uh, because I think he's still active and, you know, he'll feel like he can go to Wimbledon and, you know, have a crack and, and put himself in the outright lead. But I think kind of longer term, maybe deeper down inside of him, I think he'll be a bit sad because I think he knows ultimately, you know, the form that Djokovic is in at the moment, you know, talks of the Golden Slam, all the all this sort of stuff. Um, it feels like he's slowly, slowly reeling both of them in and whatever Federer and Nadal do from this point on 
it feels like whatever they do, I feel like yeah, Djokovic is, is going to reel them in. So for me, it's it's happy in the short term, but sad in the long term. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's only a matter of time, isn't it, before <laughs> that 20 is passed, I think, by, by Djokovic. It's going to be like but... a national holiday in Serbia, isn't it? Well, quite. I'm sure they probably already got a, a day of celebration for, for <laughs> Novak. He's their greatest ever sportsman. I can't think. I mean, I, I'm not big on my Serbian sports knowledge, but if any listeners <laughs> care to tell me of someone who probably is considered a greater sports person than Novak in Serbia, then do say. <laughs> um, and then we had another question from uh, Lee, uh, Underarm Ace. How do you pass the time during rain delays? Great question. I think Lee's been suffering a bit with the rain in Birmingham the last week. So a very topical question. Um, Joel, do you have any suggestions? There is only one obvious answer here, and it is listen to the passing shot back catalogue. <laughs> yeah, that's a good shout. We've got a hundred and however many episodes, <laughs> so you could certainly while away some rain delays. Um, you could have a nice pims as well i suppose although that's better enjoyed when it's sunny um i don't know what what i think i, I mean i have a i have a tip for wimbledon i always used to sort of gather around the bit where the players sort of go across on from their player restaurant bit over into like the changing room oh try and get some autographs well not so much autographs but you can at least you can see tennis players <laughs> like you can see people moving around you're not just like sitting getting wet under a tree or something um there's always some kind of action or maybe celebrity spotting um that's always a good tip for Wimbledon but you know <laughs> I I'm very much of a go on my phone and do you know what I normally just like get myself in like a tennis Wikipedia hole and just like look up <laughs> like players on the order of play that I would be watching and look at their like bios and their head to heads and just immerse myself in in tennis some other way but um yeah it's a good question listeners let us know what do, how do you pass the time during rain delays get in contact with us very studious of you joel to uh <laughs> you know study head to heads i think mine's a bit more um i don't know superficial than that but uh, <laughs> um let's look at some of the other news from this week uh because we've had quite a few players announce that they're withdrawing from wimbledon sadly and that uh, includes rafa who said he's not going to go to wimbledon or the olympics um and that's because he wants to kind of essentially you know listen to his body and um he's got a gold is... medal he doesn't need another medal well he's and all he's got... about grand slams well, and I think really the grass court, you know, it's too much of a tight turnaround. You know, he was supposed to be playing in the Mallorca Open this week, but he doesn't like to play a tournament like the week before a slam. And, you know, I think I think Mallorca must have originally been a week earlier and that was shunted back because of the French. I don't know. Um, but it's just too it's too quick for him to go straight from clay to grass. He's You know, he said he's not he's not as young as he used to be and he's got to listen to his body, which I, I mean, it wasn't a surprise at all uh when i heard the news and i'm I'm quite glad that rafa managed to announce this just before the tickets for wimbledon came on sale because it meant i didn't need to bother trying to get <laughs> predict when he might play in the first two days you know on, on center or court one so um he he brought out his announcement at, at just the right time um i wasn't expecting him really after his comments you know after the the semi-final of the french when he said he would think about it i was kind of thinking he might withdraw so it wasn't a massive uh, surprise um also perhaps not a big surprise but Osaka is is out as well of Wimbledon she's she's aiming to come back for the Olympics which will obviously be at, at her home 
uh, you know, in her home country. Um, you know, a bit of a shame, obviously, the issues that she's been having are still going on. Uh, but it, it was nice that Wimbledon kind of reached out to her, um, said that they were open to discussing anything that she might want to if she was thinking, you know, should she play or not? They were obviously a bit more proactive this time with um, seeing what they could do to accommodate her needs. Yeah, def- definitely. I think it, that was really kind of encouraging to see the, that dialogue, I think, come from you know, different, I guess, aspects of, you know, of tennis. And, you know, I think we've heard obviously a lot from the, I think the, the players side and it's good to see, you know, Grand Slams like Wimbledon also kind of reach out to, you know, Naomi Osaka. I think Jamie Baker, who um, is the kind of tournament director at Wimbledon is, I think, in touch with if Osaka's kind of team and entourage just to kind of, you know, understand and say that, you know, any, you know, understand and have that I think clear dialogue and communication between the two so that you know they can work on some sort of formal I guess consultation so that when she does come back it's it's in a I guess in a better place I think also yeah it's it's great that you know there's been a a it sounds like there is a time frame being put on it you know coming back for the Olympics we all know her her dominance on hard courts so you think you know, with the Olympics, that will be a great and, and a real treat, I think, for, you know, fans who who get to go to um, the Olympics. Uh, I guess my only kind of concern is that doesn't overwhelm her, you know, going back, if that's her first event back or her first big event back, you know, could it overwhelm her? So I'm just hoping, you know, whatever it is that's happening at the moment with her, I guess, her sports psychologists and, you know, working on her mental health and all that sort of stuff, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, she's very much talking about herself as as an introvert going to the Olympics where it is going to be all eyes on her. I'm just hoping at the moment that is, you know, being managed and you know, I guess she's being mentally prepared for that. No, absolutely. Um, and just another withdrawal, perhaps also not surprising. None of these are surprising. Um, Dominic team has pulled out of the Olympics. So, I mean, originally he wasn't ever going to play the Olympics, was he? Which, you know, was was quite an interesting thing so and then I think he was sort of warming to it and said he would and now he's he's not again um so he, he he's going to focus on you know the US Open series defending the US Open and I think the way that where the the Olympics fits into the calendar it's, it is quite hard to to do that and perform well there and then you know do the US Open series so it's kind of one or the other sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is interesting because yeah, the a lot of there are other players that have I think announced. You know, they have also kind of withdrawn from the Olympics, and it doesn't feel like the 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 draws at the Olympics are going to be arguably as, as strong as as they could be. Um, I mean, already that you know the men's draws taken a few big hits. I think with the fact that Team and Nadal aren't going to be there, um, but. It, you know this calendar i think whenever it's an olympic year it is always a very jam-packed calendar and the you know that that transition i think from olympics to us open or vice versa or whatever way it comes it's it feels very much like how it's gone from from clay to grass and it's it's very much like a, for some it feels like a very much an either or situation between the olympics and you know the us open hardcourt series and it's going to be very very very, very hard to do both, but I have no doubt there will be players who will relish that challenge, no doubt, like Novak Djokovic. But yeah, for others, points, points are more, points are more, um, you know, important when everyone else, I guess, is, is potentially chasing, uh, chasing a medal. 
Exactly. And, and therefore, you may get a, a roguish winner coming through, you know. Yeah. Monica Puig did it for, for the ladies. Um, exactly. So you may well get that on the men's side. Uh, it would be quite interesting if so. Um, let's have a look at some of the grass court events taking place this week. Uh, so we've got Mallorca, a lovely Mallorca uh, tournament. Uh, where we've got actually talking of Dominic team, he's in action there. Um, Medvedev is the top seed, and then Ugo Umber, if if he's going to play that, he's he's also involved. Um, and then some classic acronymized Spaniards, PCB and RBA. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if acronymized is a word. I think I've just tried to make. That I, up. I wish it was. I quite like that. Um, <laughs> do you know? I was I wrote in the show notes uh, for this draw. I was like, watch out for Lloyd Harris. Uh, he went not. and lost to he went and <laughs> lost today to Corentin Mute uh, quite convincingly, um, and yeah, Caruso watched as well. Kim Caruso lost to Yuri Vesely as well quite easily. You really um, like Lloyd Harris, round. don't you? you I re- do. You really I just hate him. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe I'm just jealous of his like his hair and his his flowing locks. I don't know, um, but um, yeah, he yeah he well well let's see how it goes. But I think you know obviously the big the big talking point and probably is the doubles draw because Novak Djokovic is in Mallorca and Kim, you are, you are not happy about this. This is like, (laughs) this is like going over to enemy territory and (laughs) rub it, rubbing someone's face in it is, is what I'm hearing from the, the Nadal, the Nadal community. I was just a bit surprised. I don't think, I don't rap. I don't think Novak's ever been to Mallorca before. Um, I mean, uh, he may have been, but I was like, <laughs> oh, he's in Rafa's back garden, is he? I see how it is. Um, I don't see Rafa playing the, the Belgrade Open. <laughs> but he's no, playing with a Spaniard as well. I know. He's gone, yeah, Carlos Gomez Herrera. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I've never heard of, of this Spaniard before, but um, fair play. He, Novak must think it's worth it to get a couple of, you know, just a few... Well, potentially only one, uh, <laughs> only one match on the uh, on the grass, but yeah, um, it's just quite an interesting manoeuvre. It's a very odd build-up. I mean, again, the 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 fact that the grass court season is so short, it's I think it's a bit embarrassing. If I was to, I'm a bit annoyed, <laughs> I'm a bit annoyed. It's so short, um, and we're getting these situations. I, I know that Djokovic likes to play the Boodles Challenge that at, at Stoke Park. That is not going ahead this year and I think that's why he's had to do something else it's interesting he doesn't he doesn't want to play the singles I don't know if that's just he wants a bit of bit more kind of time um you know off from you know all of his exploits at the French Open and he knows he can sort of turn up to Wimbledon and get back into kind of Grand Slam mode um and whether he's playing the doubles for I don't know for the you know potentially for getting just some practice but maybe for the Olympics later on in the year um but yeah, it's a, it's going to be it's an odd one, you know. If we're going to be talking about Novak Djokovic as Wimbledon champion in you know three week three weeks time or whatever, it's and it's going to be like, and what was your lead up? What was how, how did you build up for this momentous occasion? Oh, I played oh, I, dub- I, I played doubles at the ATP 250 in Mallorca. I think he should credit Carlos Gomez Herrera for <laughs> you know helping him claim his. God knows how many Wimbledon titles it would be. But um, I mean, he could have gone to Eastbourne where he's a former champion because that's also happening. Although I'm sure the weather is better in Mallorca and, you know, they're both lovely places, but I'd definitely choose Mallorca if I had the choice. Um, But um, yeah, Eastbourne, we've got Monfils headlining that one. 
Sonigo, De Menor, Basilashvili. So um, a handful of, of names. De Menor, I expect, will do reasonably well getting to the Queen's semis. I think the the bottom half feels a bit, a bit. Uh, I feel like the winner would come from that bottom half. Basashvili as well, I think, did okay in Haller as well uh, last week. Um, yeah, you've also got James Ward against Vashet Pospisil. And TFO against Liam Brody, that could be quite tough. I thought TFO looked quite decent against Shat in his loss to Shapovalov. Song is also there. Um, and Jay Clark has got John Milman, Kim. Oh, John Milman. Yeah, saw quite a lot of him at Queen. Who liked our, who liked your Instagram photos of him, uh, from our, <laughs> our trip out, I think. I know. I've got, I've got a celebrity. Well, he's not a follower, but it's always nice when you get a tennis player randomly liking a photo, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, how exciting. Um, and then just to round up, we've also got obviously the women in Eastbourne as well. It's one of those joint events, which is fantastic. Um, Slightly higher quality of of women's field, like and but again, this this used to be a premiere, I think, and it's it's been downgraded to a a five hundred. But um, Sabalenka is topping that field. Svitolina as well is there. Pavlichenkova. Some great round uh, one matchups. I mean, Mertens, Goff, Sviontek, Heather Watson. That could be really fun. Andreescu's, yeah, yeah, Dart, Rybakina, Bedosa, Svitolina. Um, yeah, some really good matchups uh, there. So really, really quality field. I mean, Andrescu also, yeah, as you said, uh, yeah, just very, very strong field. And then we also have the 500 event in, oh, sorry, the 250 event in Hamburg. Uh, Kvitova is the top seed. Came through a topsy-turvy match today against the Polish qualifier. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Kerber, I think, also came through today. Um yeah, so Azarenka's there as the second seed on a wild card. Again, a lot of a lot of big names. I, you know, I feel like it could. Be, to be honest, I feel like it could be anyone as well. I'm just getting confused because it's bad Homburg, but it's class as Hamburg. So I'm like, what is it, Hom or Ham? Um, but I think it's essentially in the Hamburg region. Uh, I'm just kind of Google mapping it. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so we've got all that happening. Uh, it, it doesn't end and we'll be, we'll be previewing Wimbledon later this week and we'll be kind of doing a, a roundup of what's happening in those tournaments so far. Um, so look out for that. But also Wimbledon qualifying is happening this week. Um, I'm really excited because Tommy Robredo is in qualifying. I mean, move I over Roger Federer. You're not the only 39 year old who wants to play. Uh, Wimbledon uh, Tommy Robredo also also in qualifying um, Ernest Gulbis as well two former top 10 players are going to be in qualifying Robredo and Gulbis uh, Troitsky as well um, who's a former world number 12 I think he's I think I've read somewhere this might be his last event or he's certainly planning on retiring later this year so perhaps a bit of a farewell to the grass season there in qualifying I hope he can kind of make it through um, quite a fun player to watch over the years. Uh, got Tomic and, and Karlovic as well, Kim. I mean, there's some classic, classic grass court names from from yesteryear. Kind of still, still on the, still on the Roehampton, uh, still in the Roehampton qualies. Absolutely. I mean, I I do hope Robredo does well. Um, always a big fan of him. Uh, we've also got Peronkova, the women's side uh, in qualies, and Anna Konya, who had a very good run earlier this season didn't she um so be intriguing to see if she can qualify I think I saw her play 
uh, at Wimbledon in 2017. I think she got to like the fourth round. So she obviously has has form on grass. So it'd be interesting to see if she can uh, come through. Um, I've just Googled Bad Homburg. It's nowhere near Hamburg. It's oh, near Frankfurt. So <laughs> why, why? That is just misleading. That's confusing. Uh, listeners, <laughs> apologies for my terrible geography. I should have known that. Um, oh, but dear. yes, I think we should we should leave it there. I will go away and read up Look on my map. German geography. Yeah, for our next episode. Um, but yeah, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest tour catch up with the passing shot. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice to stay up to date on all things tennis, including Wimbledon coming up starting from next Monday. We will, of course, be delivering our round by round coverage. So make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us. And you can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you have been enjoying listening to us and you want to help out the show, uh, make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, we've had some lovely ratings um, and reviews lately. So big thank you to everyone who's taken the time to to do that. Um, it is really genuinely very helpful um, for us. So thank you uh, massively. Um, and you can also follow us, uh, for those who don't already, on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a subscribe and a follow if you don't already. Um, but if you prefer to get in contact with us uh, via email, you can do so, PassingShotPod at gmail.com and we will be back on friday evening to talk about and dissect the wimbledon draws they will be coming out on friday so we will be back on friday evening we'll also be recapping all of the uh, events this week i'm no doubt we're going to throw in some terrible predictions as well for the the two weeks at the all england lord tennis club so i really hope you can join us and we will see you again soon So, Joel, at the inevitable rain delay next week when we're at Wimbledon, I am going to bring my map of Germany with me and I'm going to point to places on the map and you've got to tell me their name. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Please, no. Please, no. German geography is... It's not something I am very good at or aspire to be to be good at, but I should know Homburg from Hamburg. <laughs>